it's definitely a high pressure job, especially being on the visibility side of things, because if something you know doesn't get detected on some level, that's on you. I mean, it's also on the business. They need to give you the correct resources so you can function properly. But you also need to communicate that to the business of what resources you need. But yeah, it's a it's a high pressure job for sure. And just making sure you have the correct visibility. And then if you do end up in an incident, you're going to be right on the front lines, at least within the company, dealing with that incident. If you have to bring in incident responders, you're going to be the primary interface between those incident responders and the business. So definitely a lot of pressure dealing with that threat landscape. From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. Hey, Zane, thanks for joining us on CISO Foundations. If you wouldn't mind, just give us a brief two-minute everything we need to know about Zane Gettins for us. Hey, Tim, thanks for having me. So I'm Zane Gittins. I'm an IT security manager currently. I also have a consulting company, Rincon Security, that I do in my off time. Been in the security industry for about five years now, kind of come from a, a traditional computer science background. And in my current org, really what I do is build out visibility, security visibility for the organization. So that's something I'm really passionate about. I think I have a lot to say around building out visibility, building out logs, um, something I really enjoy. But being a small org kind of touch everything throughout the business security to, to some degree. I'm sure listeners and other small to medium enterprises can relate. For sure, for sure. So how big is your team that you're, you're on? So really small. I think it's grown a little since we last talked. <laughs> so currently three people. So real small team, myself, and then two people reporting to me. So you wear lots of hats then? Lots of hats for sure. You know, when you're a, a small security team and a small to medium price enter- enterprise, you still have all the issues that the big companies have. You just have a lot less manpower to deal with them. So still have to interface with legal, still have to work on compliance and privacy. But at the same time, you know, you still have to do that technical work that needs to be done to have an effective security program. So how busy are you these days with cybersecurity threats? Oh, man, super busy. You know, these last few weeks, we've been working a lot, actually, on the um, kind of on the compliance and GRC side of things, which if I have to admit, it's not my favorite part of security, all the documentation and, <laughs> and policies and procedures, but it's definitely important. So but doing a lot of that on top of guiding my team as a technical lead and having them work on a lot of the more technical aspects that I've built out in the company for the last few years. Great. How tough is it to find staff these days? So I think it's tough, but I think the problem's a little overstated. I just think a lot of companies aren't willing to take the step and take the leap and actually invest in junior people and properly training them up. I think there's a lot of awesome training within the security community. It's not necessarily cheap, but I think if you're willing to invest in people, hiring isn't really as difficult as everyone makes it out to be. You know, sure, if you're looking to hire a a real senior person to the team, you might have trouble filling that role. So, you know, I'm a new manager here at XBM, and I'd I'd actually like to know what is it that you look for when you're interviewing, especially if you're looking for junior people? Definitely. Yeah. So just recently going 
through the interview process. I think when it comes to junior people, a lot of what I'm looking for is just interest in security. It doesn't have to be a requirement, but when you're teaching someone, they pick up what you're learning or what you're teaching a, a lot more quickly if they're actually interested in the subject. So really looking for just that passion and interest in security for a more junior people helps them learn quicker. If they're willing to or they want to spend time in their off time doing labs or training, I just find it helps get people up to speed a lot more quickly when they have that passion and they start bringing value back to your team a lot more quickly as well. Absolutely. So, so you mentioned that curiosity. What other soft skills do you think makes a good security practitioner? I think being a good communicator is absolutely vital. To do security effectively, you definitely can't do it in a bubble. If you're in a bubble and just doing your own technical side of security, but not interfacing with the business, then you're not really going to be covering those business needs of security. And you might not be considering all the risks and what the business is really worried about from a security perspective. So being a good communicator is absolutely crucial soft skill because you really need to interface with almost every part of the business to do security right. That's a really great point. So how do you interface with other members of your team or you know other business units with regard to racking and stacking those risks that you intend to take most seriously? I think what's been really effective for us is partially because everyone's so busy has been just setting up lunch and learns with key members of the business. Just a real informal, hey, let's have lunch together. Let's talk about what you're concerned about from a security perspective. Let's see what we can do on the technical side to maybe ease those concerns or, or limit some of that risk that you're worried about. And then you really get to meet key people throughout the business that you know end up coming up in later security projects or or end up advocating for you when you're trying to push out a security initiative. So for us, doing lunch and learns for those key people of the business has been really effective. Great. You mentioned that you studied computer science. Did you intend to go into security or did it just kind of happen? So when I started in computer science, I, I had two kind of directions I was looking at. I think like a lot of people who are going into computer science right now, I was interested in game design. But I was also interested in security. Those were kind of my two avenues. Everybody. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> a lot of people are interested in gaming. But the college I went to had a really awesome program where they would pay for you to have a pretty much like a paid internship with local companies. And so I got into that program and the internship I had was a security internship. So that's really what gave me my passion for security. I was always interested in security from a young age. Like I remember being 10 or 12 with my friends in the computer lab, writing batch scripts as pranks on one another. You know, We figured out how to write a batch script that would just fork itself infinitely until the, the computer froze up. So I think that was kind of my, one of my first forays into security, even though I, you know, I didn't really know it at the time, but kind of got interested in, in, in scripting and things of that nature pretty early on. And then I think when I had that internship, everything clicked. Got it. So Zane was infinite forking when he was 12 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like teachers loved him. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I think the computer lab we were in was like a teaching you how to type in elementary school on a keyboard. You know, my friends and I, we had gotten past how to type pretty quickly. So in our off time, we were just experimenting. 
You went straight to filling up hard drives. Exactly. <laughs> so knowing what you know about security now and, you know, this sort of like sleepless nights that you have, would you do anything different if you had to do it over? Yeah, great question. I think if I had to do anything different, it would have been connect with all those key members of the business early on. That's a skill and something important that I've learned through doing security. But I think when I started, I didn't really recognize how important it was to bring the business into the conversation and understand really what they cared about from a securities perspective. So if I could do anything different, it would be uh, as far as current security program and organizations I work with, it would be bringing in the business, connecting with the business right from the beginning. I think that's exactly right, because when you're working sort of in a silo, doing your security thing that people around you don't understand, like there's a real anxiety of, am I doing what they expect me to be doing? And what if something goes wrong? Will they blame me? Exactly. And you're not always considering, you know, what their use cases and things they're concerned about security. Like you might be working on malware detections if you're working in a silo. And maybe what they're concerned about is someone accidentally emailing out a sensitive document completely different thing than you were working on. And if it happens, then maybe it's nothing you considered before. I mean, we even have that problem on the vendor side in reality when we're working with end user teams and having to keep management aligned. So I can only imagine that you having a team, having to keep the business aligned has to be incredibly cumbersome. It is very cumbersome. You know, just getting those key requirements, it could be a lot. You really have to facilitate the conversation and get people thinking of what they care about because sometimes they don't they don't even know yet but once they've thought about and you have that direction brings a lot back a lot of direction when you're building out a program and it definitely provides some top cover if something does go wrong exactly it does is then you can say hey you told me to focus on this and that's what we did exactly for sure so on a daily basis what does your job look like day to day on a technical side not not so much of a business relationship side but the technical side what is what does Zane's workday look like? Yeah, on a technical side, since my the biggest thing I really focus on is visibility, I, I really believe in the importance of visibility. So it's a lot of tuning log sources, adding in new log sources, directing and training my team how to search and hunt through logs. So do a lot with logs. I think it's a, a real interesting problem, You know, always fighting for that next level of visibility. And it's not something that ever really goes away because as a business grows, you bring in new people, you onboard new applications, you start using new operating systems, maybe you move to the cloud. And all those places are you know key areas where you need to have visibility from a security perspective. And on top of that, they're all always changing. So definitely just maintaining that visibility is kind of my, my day-to-day. So how do you manage that volume? You've got a small team and a, a large volume of logs. How do you manage that volume? Like, And how do you keep up with the changes that are happening in your logs and your log sources? Yeah, so changes that are happening is a hard thing to keep up with. I think, you know, again, you need to be aware of what the business's plans are. You know, even from an IT side of things, you know, what new applications are they looking to onboard? How are they looking to change how people work? You know, for example, the pandemic happening so many people going remotely if you weren't aware of that or if you you're the security team and you were made aware of that change very abruptly then you probably lost a lot of, lot of visibility in that area so again just connecting with the business and knowing where they want to go and what new technology they're bringing in 
But from a technical perspective, I think a lot of tools have RSS feeds for when they have updates. So if you can subscribe to all those RSS feeds, you can be aware of when maybe they change a log format, they add a new new event ID to a log that you're interested in. I think that's a really good way to stay up, up to date with this stuff. Cool. So that speaks to the technical side. On the real world side, how much do you, how much time do you spend looking at current sort of cyber trends in the news, right? So like things that are happening right now, there's all these zero day exploits and, you know, ransomware attacks. How much time do you spend learning about the things that are just out there in the wild and building up a defense against that sort of stuff? It's definitely a good chunk of my time. I think one of the first things I do every morning is grab my cup of coffee and scroll through my my feed on Twitter and see, you know, hey, what's going on in the security community today? That's been a pretty good source for for me and my team to to stay up to date with everything. But I think in terms of time, you know, it's definitely at least four hours a week of just staying up to date with what's happening, subscribing to to CISA, subscribing to Microsoft, MSRC, you know, some other sources and just being aware of what's changing security wise. Because there's always something changing. And if you have, for example, something public facing and it becomes vulnerable, a new vulnerability comes out for it and you're not aware of that, you're going to have a bad day. So you've got to be on top of this stuff. Every time we ask that question or every time I've asked that question to somebody, the answer has always been Twitter. And I don't use Twitter. So it makes me feel just incredibly like maybe I could be better at my job. <laughs> you know, I definitely recommend it. I think around two and a half years ago is when I started. I hadn't used Twitter for the longest time. Couldn't really be bothered with it. I don't have any social media besides Twitter now. <laughs> I deleted it all. But yeah, I've kept Twitter around because I found just having, you know, a few key people that you subscribe to and trust what they say, that can provide a lot of value and really keep you up to date what's happening security-wise. And when you go into a conversation with someone, you kind of already know the latest security topics and then conversate about it. Yeah, I think that's something that happens a lot with the business as well as security is in the news more than ever. Everyone in your business is reading about it. So it's important to stay up to date on security yourself. That way you can give direction to the business and, and provide the expert level of opinion on some of these news stories. So they're not just reading false. They're not getting the wrong take out of some of these news stories when they read it. Okay, fine. I'll sign up. (laughs) You sold it. (laughs) Do you find yourself being the cybersecurity sort of Twitter feed for your non-technical colleagues? Yeah, definitely. Um, They're always coming to me with, hey, I just saw this thing on Twitter. or Hey, I just saw this person get breached. And I think if you're an expert, you know, at least to our level, you're in the security industry. When you read that article, you get something completely different out of it than what they got out of it. And being able to provide that context to them is huge. You know, even family and friends are, you know, always asking about security. That's just how much security has ended up in our current news cycle. Right. And especially so with the new executive orders coming out and that sort of thing. Yeah, that as well. That as well. So. In the framework of the sort of threat landscape, how much pressure do you feel being a security manager and being that sort of like line of defense against threats outside of your network? It's definitely a high pressure job, especially being on the visibility side of things, because if something you know doesn't get detected on some level, that's on you. I mean, it's also on the business. They need to give you the correct resources 
so you can function properly. But you also need to communicate that to the business of what resources you need. But yeah, it's a it's a high pressure job for sure. And just making sure you have the correct visibility. And then if you do end up in an incident, you're going to be right on the front lines, at least within the company, dealing with that incident. If you have to bring in incident responders, you're going to be the primary interface between those incident responders and the business. So definitely a lot of pressure dealing with that threat landscape. So on that front, in 2021, what particularly keeps Zane getting up at night? I guess a few different things. For sure, just that new zero-day exploit that we're not aware of that ends up popping some external-facing system and gets malware dropped on it and, you know, dealing with that. There's a lot you can do to really reduce that risk. But, you know, that always still kind of keeps me up at night. I think the other thing that really got brought to my forefront this last year was the whole supply chain attacks. Looking at that SolarWinds breach, you know, it's pretty scary having, you know, running a piece of software and then you install an update approved by the manufacturer. And then you find out a month later that now your server's been compromised for the last month or longer year, six months. So those are pretty scary because you can actually do a lot to to help limit that risk. There's a lot of technical controls and, and stuff you can put in place. But at the end of the day, you're still putting some level of faith and trust in in the software you install. So on the flip side of that, What's the coolest part of working in cybersecurity for you? Coolest part is, you know, I definitely enjoy just the technical <laughs> side of things. You know, that's that's what I enjoy the most. So hunting through logs, you know, getting that that feeling of being a cyber detective, that, that's something you can't be. So what's a cool thing that you've done as a cyber detective? Like what's one thing that you've found and mitigated or plugged a gap in your security framework? It's always a hard question to answer this one because <laughs> because you don't want to you know say anything that's confidential, right? Um, but you know, I think I could speak a little bit more to it since I have. I think how people get away with with answering this question is they're people who are consultants and they have consulting businesses, so you have no idea what who their clients are, <laughs> so they can tell the story. Since I do did re- not too long ago start my consulting business, maybe we could talk a little bit about it. You know, one really interesting case I worked on with a colleague of mine was just a web shell being dropped on a on a Linux server and investigating that. And you know, as is the case most of the time, there weren't great logs available. So having to do that more kind of traditional Linux forensics to really find out what happened there and that was really interesting, really interesting case we worked on with that web shell and, and the adversary and how they moved around on that box and really, you know, cleaning that up was, it was an interesting investigation. So it's fun when you do investigations, but on the flip side of that, how do you motivate your team when they are going about the day-to-day alert triage fatigue, right? Like, and we all know in the SOC, it's sometimes a tedious affair to like be in tri- triaging these false positives all day long. How do you stay motivated in an environment like that? Yeah, so this is one of the areas I'm really passionate about because I've seen this as a problem in previous orgs I've worked at, as well as clients that we consult for, is just having members of the SOC who essentially are swimming in a sea of false positives. You know, they're maybe looking at 
false positive for eight hours, or, you know, maybe it's not necessarily a false positive, but it's a benign alert. So it's not something that they're, you know, they're really finding malicious activity there. So something we've been trying in my team recently is we're having a once a week meetup where one person in the team writes challenge and the other people in the team solve it. And the challenge is supposed to be just a short scenario, maybe five to 20 questions. The person who writes the challenge actually emulates some sort of adversary technique. So maybe they, they go out and they do the latest exchange proxy shell, web shell exploitation within a lab environment. They generate all the logs, you know, maybe key caps, maybe memory files. And then they write, you know, 15 questions about it. And the other members of the team then answer those questions. And then at the end, you see if you got the answers right and you discuss and see what you could maybe change in your actual sim to maybe get better logging. You talk about, you know, what detections you could have added to your sim to improve your visibility. So that's been working really well. And I think it gives analysts confidence because when you're looking at a sea of false positives all day, you lose confidence and you don't have confidence in yourself that you can you can catch something when it's a true positive. So giving analysts this once a week exercise where a group of them are actually knowing and building confidence that they can find evil within their network. And then giving on the flip side, the person who writes the challenge to actually see how the other side of the aisle works, you know, really run more of that offensive skill set. That's been incredibly valuable for us. That's a great idea. I like that it's both interactive, you're improving your security posture, and you're improving kind of the knowledge base that you have on your SOC. That's, it's an amazing idea. It's a great honestly. idea. Yeah, and it's been working really well. And we found, you find gaps along the way. You know, maybe when you're, you're writing this challenge, generating logs so that the other people can answer the challenge, you find, hey, I'm not actually generating the logs I need for them to answer the challenge. And then at the end, that becomes a finding within our org. We need to improve our logging on this specific vertical. So yeah, there's a lot of benefits that I really have come out of it. So with regard to the field of cybersecurity, how much upward mobility is there for you and for your team members? Within my org, I think there's, you know, even though we're a small team, I think there's still a lot of chance for upward mobility. The current org I'm at is just growing like crazy. I think we're like doubling team size once a year within almost every department, as well as, um, you know, doubling revenue. And it, it's just been crazy. So I think within our team, there's a lot of room to move upward as we build out the security team into something much bigger and really a global security team to cover all our international facilities. So as your team grows and, and the sort of the sea rises and you rise in being in charge with a small team as it grows, what do you think the skills you need to have are to, to develop as your leadership role grows? I think communication and writing are probably the two biggest skills and not just normal writing, but technical writing as well. You know, as you move up in security leadership, I think you find yourself being involved in writing more policies, which it makes me a little sad because it's not my favorite thing to do. But I, th- I think it's a key skill you need to have because, you know, leadership who's, who's been through those years of cybersecurity, been in the security community, you've learned a lot 
about what worked and what didn't. And it takes that expertise to write those policies. And it also takes that skill to know how to write effectively. So I think, you know, writing as well as communication, because as you rise as a manager, you're interacting with more and more members of the business. So you have to know how to communicate well. Is your team covering the whole gamut of InfoSec? Like, are you working with firewall and EDR tools and DLP tools and that sort of thing? The whole gamut. So everything from EDR to firewalls to everything from, you know, GRC, even we help on that, that side of things or writing these policies and procedures, but, you know, all the way to, to doing the technical side of things with firewalls and EDR and DLP. So yeah, small team. I think that's just one of the biggest challenges you face in a small to medium size enterprise is you have all those same issues that the big enterprises have. You need to still, you know, put EDR in place. You probably, you need to do probably still do DLP at some level. You're still worried about ransomware and insider threats. It doesn't necessarily scale like you think it would. Like just because you're a big org or just because you're a small org, you still have most of the same challenges these larger organizations have. Yeah, the difference is EPS and bureaucracy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Those are what scales. (laughs) That sounds amazing to me because because each of these products have to be configured properly, right? And, And if they're not, that falls back on you. So how do you manage that? Like having to know all of these platforms and manage them all yourself, that seems pretty overwhelming to me. It gives me, it raises my heart rate just thinking about it. It is difficult. I try to, within my team now, trying to get technical experts, at least assigning a group of tools to a member and having them really be an expert on that tool or group of tools. And then, you know, everyone in the team needs to have at least some level of competence within each tool. But I think it makes sense to, to train up certain people to really be experts. Maybe you have one person who's an expert on EDR, cloud and DLP, and your other person is an expert on SIM and logging and visibility, really trying to break it out. And then I think that's something you can incorporate into those, you know, once a week meetups we talked about is having someone who's an expert share information about the applications that they're really comfortable with that you're using in security. And those other people can learn. Because I think at the end of the day, on a small team, everyone needs to know at least a base level of all the tools you're using because someone can be out sick or gone and they need to be able to cover you. But it still makes sense to have people that can really dive deep into to certain products you're using. So with your consultant hat on, when you're talking to people who may not know everything that you know about security, how much of a balance do you focus on external threats versus insider threats uh, when you're when you're consulting? So I'm gonna give you the classic question of it depends <laughs> the class answer of it depends really depends on their business but i think from most cases i'm much more concerned about external threats obviously caveat that there's some businesses where it's all about internal or mostly about internal but from my side of things coming from working for a lot of manufacturing companies doing consulting for a lot of manufacturing companies A lot of what they're worried about is interruption of the manufacturing process. And a lot of that time, what's interrupting the manufacturing process is things like ransomware or things that are usually external threats. From the internal side, you're more worried about, you know, like user error, but not really a malicious insider. 
Yeah, that's usually the way it happened. I, I was on an insider threat team, and most of the activity that we saw that was badness was people just not knowing or people thinking that that material was theirs. So in cybersecurity, being a, a new leader, you know, in a rising infosec group, knowing what you know now, what types of people do you think go into cybersecurity? I think everyone has something to bring to cybersecurity. And no matter what background you're from, you have something really interesting to bring to the team. At a past company, we brought someone into the security team who was previously a manufacturing operator on the floor, but all the background they had about how the machines worked and how the manufacturing process worked brought a lot to the security team. For me, myself, I come from a computer science background. I don't think it's the route you need to go to go into security at all, but it has been really valuable for me being able to write scripts and programs to glue all these security tools together, get them to talk to one another has been a really valuable tool of mine, as well as to just automate processes I do. And when you're a small team, the more automation you can leverage, the better. Yeah, we have a forum here where we mentor students that are looking to get into cybersecurity. And one of the things that comes out of that forum is that there's a lot of skills that do not involve people sitting in a dark room at a keyboard with a hoodie on. A lot of skills, you know, like whether it's, you know, I do content creation, which is basically just technical writing or working in sort of like communicating what the product does or so how do you balance that when you're looking to hire someone if they're not terribly technical? You mentioned training them up. So how do, how do you balance that? What are you looking for if it's someone that's not terribly technical? Yeah, if they're not technical. I'm mostly looking just for that passion and interest because I think the technical side can be taught. It's just a matter of how long it's going to take for them to absorb it. And if they're passionate about security, they're going to absorb it a lot quicker. As long as you're willing to invest in them, there's a ton of great training out there. Even there's a lot of orgs that are doing really high quality training for pretty cheap. But then all the way up to you have awesome high quality training through SANS. Sure, you're going to pay a pretty penny for it, but in the end, it'll probably be worth it. So with regard to bringing people up to speed on your team, how, how much documentation of workflows do you do um, just on a daily basis? Do a lot of documentation. And something that I learned just when I did grad school, as well as undergrad, is just the most effective way to document is to do it as you go. It really does slow down your process. You know, I'm not questioning that. But it forces you to write that documentation at the time that you have the most knowledge about it, which is while you're doing it. So that's something I do and that I have my team members do is if they're deploying a new tool, writing, you know, a new piece of code or, you know, a new program or whatever it may be, is really just forcing them to document it as they do it. Because the only way we can scale is to document what we're doing. So as we bring more people on, they can read that documentation. Or being on a small team, it's real easy to have someone who is out sick. And that could be now like 30% of your team is gone. So you really need to have what their role was documented and what the core processes and procedures that they were doing are documented. So you can pick up that slack if you need to while they're gone. So we mentioned earlier what keeps you awake at night with regard to security threats. What do you have in place that helps you cover down when it's sleep time in your time zone? Yeah, so something we have is kind of like a MDR on top of everything else we're doing. So we do have a 24 by seven 
MVR team that kind of covers us while we're sleeping. So that's nice to know there's some level of real people looking at the environment while I'm asleep. So that that's helped a lot. Another thing we do is we have regions throughout the United States. We have facilities throughout the United States and, and globally. So even though we might not have dedicated security people globally, even if you can just give them a base level of training of here's what you do if X, Y, or Z happens, that way you can kind of have that boots on the ground within the org around the clock and dispersed through different regions. And then they can wake up who needs to be woken up if it's something really serious. So how often does Zane get woken up? Luckily, recently, not often, which must mean we're doing a pretty good job on the proactive side of security. (laughs) Awesome. I'm honestly impressed with how much, how he's investing in enabling his team so that he doesn't have tribal knowledge. And because if you grow your tribal knowledge without spreading that out, it makes it so you can't hire new people. And it also makes it so that you can't climb up in the organization. So I think it's very mature of you, the way that you're handling your organization. Yeah, thank you. Especially considering how much ground you have to cover. Definitely. And I think like you absolutely, you don't have any choice to do it or not do it when you're a small team. I mean, you cannot do it, but you're going to fail. You absolutely need to document and scale well when you're small. Awesome. So we thank you for your time spending with us here. And last question on our way out the door. Where do you see yourself going in security, say in a five-year time frame? And where do you think the industry is headed? And do those converge? Great question. So I think where I'm headed is within my current org, you know, heading up the security team for an international company and really trying to scale well with a company that's growing so quickly. I think security is moving increasingly to the cloud, moving increasingly to these new paradigms that we didn't really have before. And some of the the problems we're facing throughout the world are really forcing us to reconsider how we do security. Everything from people moving remotely to just really quick rate that zero-day exploits have been coming out this last year. So yeah, I think as a security community, we just have to keep pushing and we can't really ever let that drop out of our sight. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you are covering a lot of security ground. Yeah, we've we've made a ton of progress this last year. So real proud of my team and what we've accomplished and you know, hoping to get to the next level next year. Awesome. Well, we thank you for your time, Zane. Thank you very much, Tim, Katie, for having me. Thank you, Zane. That's it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exabeam.com forward slash podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.